0: ESPN Radio.
1: As of right now, I feel like I am going to play. It will bring an
0: unimaginable additional layer of interest to this event. Look, it's been said for years that Tiger doesn't move the needle. He is the needle.
1: We're going places that have never been gone before. There's a guy who almost had to have his leg amputated, and, and now all of a sudden he's going to go out there and try and win the Masters. Now everything is focused on how do I get myself into a position where I'm on that back nine on Sunday with a chance. What would be the most improbable win I could ever imagine?
0: ESPN Radio. To ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and streaming live over on ESPN+. Courtney Crone and Harry Douglas taking you up to coverage of Reds Braves on ESPN Radio. You can also watch the game over on ESPN2. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. If you want to join in the conversation at any point this afternoon, the number to get in on the Canty call-in line, 888 say espn 888 729 3776. Well, there's a whole lot of people not doing a whole lot of work today between opening day in Major League Baseball and round one of the 86th Masters, Harry. A lot of people calling out sick, maybe hold up at home. Good day to be on the couch and listening to ESPN Radio as we break down the latest happenings in baseball and over. ...at the Masters, and that's where we start this afternoon. It's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. The 86 Masters got underway this morning. We started out with a 30-minute rain delay at Augusta National. Tiger Woods, the talk of the week, was in the group that teed off at 11.04 a.m. local time. And boy, was he off to a hot start. 14 months removed from a car accident that nearly cost him his right leg. Tiger is two shots back from the lead, one under through 13 holes... At Augusta National, we will keep you updated on the remainder of his first round on Thursday afternoon. Some highlights, though, nearly a hole-in-one on six, about five inches away from the cup on his tee shot, and that hole put him in the red. So, Harry, as we have unfolded, throughout Thursday morning and looking at Tiger Woods and the expectations for him and all that led up all the discourse that led up to where we are today on Thursday I think you know we can kind of put the he just is there you know be happy that he's there to begin with I think we can kind of put that aside given the way we've seen him start out his first round on Thursday
1: yeah and I'll tell you this selfishly I want Tiger to win this thing but The gracious part of me says that, okay, Tiger's alive. His Mm -hmm. presence alone uh, is being felt out there on the golf course, and Tiger is a five-time Masters winner. But you see the crowd and how they embrace a Tiger Woods, how they react to every single thing that he's doing. Courtney, literally everything Mm -hmm. shows you how much he's beloved and cherished when it comes to the game of golf but it also shows you the pioneer that Tiger Woods is. Would I love to see Tiger go and win this thing and continue to have success over and over again? Yes, and one of the reasons why I say that is that when you look at who has the most major wins in golf, that's Jack Nicklaus with 18, right? Tiger Woods sits, th- sits three behind him at 15. I honestly don't believe that Tiger's going to be done with golf until he passes Jack Nicklaus. It's kind of what we, we, we're looking at LeBron James chasing that, that that uh that all-time leading scoring record right right now in the NBA. And when I see Tiger, I think it can be done because when Tiger goes out there each time to play the game of golf, you can never count him out because he's been so great throughout his career. Even you look back at 2019, not many people thought Tiger was gonna come in and win that. That's actually the last time that you had a ton of people out at the Masters and you seen how the crowd embraced him during that moment. So when I look at Tiger right now, as I'm looking at him right now on the screen and y'all are listening to us, he said in his interview, somebody asked him, do you think you can win it? And I was like, oh my God, that's so cliche. Why would they ask him something like that? Because Tiger always wants to win. That's why he's out there. Yeah. But he firmly believes every time he goes out there to play golf and compete in a tournament that he's going to win. And that's kind of the mindset that you have. you have to have. The mindset of a guy like a Michael Jordan, a Tiger Woods, um, you could throw a Babe Ruth in there. Their mindset, and they're wired differently from everyone else, and they expect to win and excel at everything that they do in life. Not just golf or their sport, but everything that they do in life.
0: It has been said that Tiger Woods does not move the needle. He is the needle, and like Mm. you mentioned, Harry... Everything that, you can, that you're watching at Augusta National is centered on Tiger Woods, and certainly that's intentional because he drives such a large audience, but when you're watching him tee off and, you know, when he's playing golf, there's like, that's a row of, like, ten deep. At, yes. In Augusta National. That's not an easy ticket to come by. So seeing just the crowd that he draws here as he looks for his 16th major, and we're actually talking about it like he's going to potentially contend for his 16th major, not somebody that's just there to be there because of how he's played early on Thursday, 13 holes uh under for, for Tiger today, it's through 13, uh, one under through 13, two shots back from the lead at Augusta National. So the energy around Tiger Master uh, around Tiger Woods at the Masters, you've said it. I mean, there's a crowd there that is huge, and there are people who traveled down to Augusta, Georgia, to watch Tiger Woods. What does that feel like? ESPN golf reporter Marty Smith is at Augusta National. It was on SportsCenter earlier this afternoon discussing Tiger and the environment.
1: It's electric. Uh, I went to the first tee box probably 45 minutes before he was slated to tee off at 11.04 a.m. today. And there were already people buzzing with anticipation with the opportunity to see him in person tee off here at the Masters Tournament, which seemed so improbable only about a month ago that he would play here. I mean, maybe even a week ago, improbable. And as he made his way, from the clubhouse to to the first tee it was an ovation
0: that was marty smith the spn golf reporter on the 12pm sports center talking about the electricity in the air at Augusta National surrounding Tiger Woods. And this is what happens when you are someone who transcends your sport, Harry. And so few athletes can do that in a way that Tiger Woods does. And it felt when what felt so improbable, the fact that it now feels more than there's just a glimmer of hope, that this is a realistic shot that Tiger Woods has to be in the mix, to make it into the weekend uh, and make the cut at the Masters, it certainly draws uh, a lot of eyeballs on the product he's won he won 14 majors from 1997 to 2008 he won his last major at augusta national in 2019 his triumphant return to the top of the golf world uh three years ago now and i know that we all watched that live unfold at augusta national and you know the 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 redemption story around him at that point is far different than it is today where this man is coming off of an injury that nearly cost him his right leg. He talked about that at length in coming back from the car accident in February, 2021, where he nearly had to have his leg amputated by doctors. That's how serious this was. So I think it changes the conversation here where before in 2019, we had a far different discourse around Tiger Woods and Mm -hmm. all of the expectations and whether people were rooting for him or not because he had fallen from his place in the golf hierarchy and for about 10, 12 years there, hadn't won a major, hadn't done much of anything that was truly relevant in the golf world. And I think now, years removed from that, like in realizing what he went through physically to get to this point, it's a universal story of triumph that a lot of people can get behind. I think you've got a lot of a lot more eyeballs on the product today for the first round than you might have had in other years
1: yeah and and here's the sad thing about our world, which is crazy to me for some reason, we love when people are on a pedestal and then see them fall, but at the same time love to see them get back on top and conquer everything that they may have lost, right? Um, And and I don't know why the world is like that, but it is. And a guy like Tiger this time around, who was in a car accident, like Marty Smith related to and yourself as well, there was a lot of unknown. We didn't know if we're going to see Tiger, um, especially at the Masters, or ever see Tiger again because he almost lost his leg, could have lost his life. Anything could have transpired in that accident. But to be able to have him out here today – And bless so many people with his presence, and not just his presence, but to play the game of golf at a very, very high level is very refreshing.
0: Tiger Woods has an eagle through 14 holes at the Masters. We will keep you updated on his first round at Augusta National along with the rest of the leaderboard throughout the show here on ESPN Radio over the next few hours. And we'll get into a little bit more on Tiger Woods' health and what we should be concerned about, whether it's the leg or his back, which has been troublesome for Tiger in years past. But first, Harry's going to tell you about Indeed.
1: If April is showering your company with open positions, then check out Indeed. Their powerful hiring platform makes it simple to attract, interview, and hire candidates all in one place. Just sponsor a post and get matched instantly with quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed meet your job description. Then invite them to apply and get connected. No more jumping from site to software to cell phone. You can easily schedule and conduct virtual interviews all on Indeed dashboard. Get started at Indeed.com credit. As of right now, I feel like I am going to play. It's been said for years that Tiger doesn't move the needle. He is the needle. Now everything is focused on how do I get myself into a position where I'm on that back nine on Sunday with a chance.
0: This is ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80 and ESPN Plus. Courtney Cronin and Harry Douglas keeping you company on this Thursday afternoon. A wet morning down at Augusta has uh, paved way to some sunny skies in Georgia. A beautiful afternoon turnout at the 86 Masters. Tiger Woods, the focal point in round one. And and Harry, I think the thing for most people going into the first round at the Masters was how is Tiger going to hold up knowing Mm -hmm. that in PGA environments, you're not riding in a golf cart like when I go golf. I'll either pull a cart. I really, it's not my preferred method, or I will ride in a golf cart. That doesn't happen when you play on tour. In spite of the fact that Tiger Woods went through a horrific accident last year, 14 months removed from a leg, uh, from a really serious leg injury, he is walking at the Masters. Now, there are circum, there are circumstances where he would have been able to apply for an exemption with the PGA and appeal to ride in a golf cart. But I think that throughout the week and talking with experts around the golf world and hearing from voices close to Tiger Woods and those who have covered him before Tiger, wasn't going to go to Augusta national and play in the 86 masters. If he wasn't doing it all the way, 100%, which includes walking 18 holes of golf every single day, uh, starting on Thursday. So as we think about the injury that he just went through and what the, cons- what the concern should be considering the conditions down at Augusta National, Curtis Strange, ESPN golf analyst, was on SportsCenter this morning, and he's more concerned about Tiger's previous back injuries than the surgically repaired leg. Take a listen.
1: It's going to be a hard walk. Uh, I didn't think it'd be this soft, I didn't expect all that rain last night. So he's prepared for it. I think the leg is going to be fine. Certainly it might be more sore and stiff tomorrow. But I'm a little bit more concerned with the back. Because when it gets soft, and when you walk the beach for an hour and see what's sore, your calves and your butt and your lower back. Right. So uh, I think he's in good shape. Uh, he looks like he's in good shape. It's just going to take his time and be careful.
0: That was Curtis Strange ESPN Golf analyst uh, on Tiger's back versus his leg, which should we be more concerned about? And that's the thing that we need to focus on here that of course the leg is a serious, you know, part of the equation, but Tiger had five back surgeries including a fusion surgery not that long ago and at the time of his accident Last February, you know, we were it was coming right off of the Genesis Open where he was talking about undergoing back surgery about five, six weeks before that. And then he ends up getting in the car accident. And we think at that point that, you know, golf is the furthest thing from his mind as he tries to recover physically. So I think the physical accomplishment of what, Ty- of what it means to have Tiger Woods in this tournament at the Masters and just the toll that his body is it's taking right now, that needs to be talked about just as much as we're talking about Tiger potentially winning another tournament.
1: Yeah, if you don't think the lower back is very important, just go over to Brooklyn Nets and ask Ben Simmons about that lower back situation. I'll bring up another situation that, that, that I've seen uh, occur of, of, actually live. We played against the New England Patriots in a, in a playoff game. Our offensive line coach, his back locked up. He couldn't even go to the locker room at halftime. He just had to sit on the bench the rest of the game. So the lower back is very, very important to a lot of people, especially athletes. Now, when you're walking up hills and walking down hills, uh, as you just heard, the calf muscles, the lower back, your butt starts to get a little bit sore, and all these things are going to transpire with Tiger. It's just about how much pain can he actually take. And I'll even take it a step further, his leg walking up and down those slopes. He's going to be sore. How much pain can he take with that? But I'm pretty sure he has a few uh, painkillers with him, as a lot of athletes take. I mean, we, we'd rather not take him, but I'm pretty sure he does have those. And just watching him right now, he looks good. He has a little limp. You see a little gimp here and there from Tiger. But uh, he's out there in the mindset of Tiger, not wanting to get that exemption, not wanting to ride in a cart. That, that's, the, the, that's the definition of a true competitor, right? I don't want no competitive advantage. I want yeah. to do this thing the right way, the way it's supposed to be done, and the way I'm accustomed to doing it. That's Tiger Woods and his mindset kicking in, and I love it. I, I, I'd expect nothing less from him.
0: Yeah, and I'm watching the stream right now over on ESPN+. That's where you can watch the featured group that teed off uh, that included Tiger Woods at 11.04 a.m. Eastern time. Tiger on hole number 15 right now. He is using his driver as a cane of sorts, and that's not the first time that we've seen him do that. You'll remember at the U.S. Open back in 2008 when he was playing with a fractured leg. He had to get through it however he could, and, and part of that was leaning on that driver as sort of a crutch to be able to help himself walk and probably alleviate some of that pressure that he's putting on his leg and his lower back. And you know, he had such a violent swing the early part of his career, which he changed. That was a big part of the evolution of Tiger Woods from 1997 all the way to where we are now, and about halfway through his career having to adjust the way that he was striking the golf ball. And I'm wondering the technique that he had to apply today because wouldn't you think that coming off injury and I'm curious when we hear from golf experts in in the coming days and and following this round what they think of Tiger's swing does it have the same velocity does it have the same sort of you know torque and everything that we've seen pre-accident to what we're going to see now because inevitably he's had to adjust some things to be able to you know alleviate some of that pressure that his body is inevitably facing.
1: But Courtney, I would take it a step further. Think about the process and um, going through things before you actually get get to Augusta, or when you get there. Okay, this is how I gotta walk. I have to. You have to get your mental your mental state right for all kind of things that back in your younger days you didn't even have to think about, right? Because you're just walking and you're 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 going to play golf. Now, hey, make sure I don't put too much pressure on my leg and my back. Here, you got to think about all those different things. So I think it's a lot more. Uh, that Tiger has to deal with versus the other golfers out here who actually just just come out here and and just swing a club and play and walk around and and do what they do. So you have to add that. He had to add that to his repertoire as well uh, and plan for everything.
0: Yeah, and uh, it's something the mental preparation – Just as important as the physical preparation of how do I get through the first round? Like this is somebody who is used to playing into the weekend at Augusta National. And I remember back to 2019 when he had fallen off the golf hierarchy and had been passed up by others that were younger, had had sustained less injury than he had, and, and he was trying to make his comeback. You know, it was the mental and the physical preparation at that point that kind of came into focus, probably in a different light than it had at other points of his career. But if he wants to contend, if he wants to realistically have a shot to win the Masters, there's going to be so much that gets poured into his recovery effort starting tonight. I mean, as Curtis Strange had said, um, he's going to be sore. This first round, Harry, walking 18, his first competitive round since he has been – you know, cleared to play golf following this accident. I'm curious what Friday Tiger Woods looks like in the second round at the Masters versus today because that's the thing. Historically speaking, he has not started out the Masters all that hot, and yes, today his first hole looked a lot different than Masters of the years past for Tiger Woods, where he kind of works into it instead of coming out like a bolt of lightning. So I'm real curious to see the physical toll that one round of golf takes on him and how that's going to affect him you know, in, in, in the quest to win a championship come tomorrow.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, if you have a family, you ever took your family to Disney World, and if you walked around Disney World for a very, very long time, <laughs> think about how you feel after you leave Disney World in that hot sun and walking all those ways, and then now you got to go home and relax. Think about that uh, in Tiger times, probably 10 right about now. Yeah.
0: Plenty more Tiger talk on the way here on ESPN radio. Quick look at the leaderboard, Cameron Smith uh, in the lead right now, four under on the day, and he is through with the 15th hole, headed over to 16. Uh, Beyond that, Tiger Woods a little bit further down, but he is over on 15 right now. We'll keep you updated on his round at the Masters coming up later on ESPN radio. That's straight talk, straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. Straight ahead, new developments in Brian Flores' lawsuit against the National Football League, which alleges racism in its hiring practices. We discuss the two former coaches who have been added to the complaint against the
1: league. Next, here on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. ESPN Radio. Tune in to baseball's
0: opening day as the Braves host the Reds. Coverage begins tonight at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. Quick update down at Augusta. Cameron Smith, six under on the day through 16, two more holes for him. Sunjay in behind him in second, uh, four under, and then a big tie for third place between one, two, three, four golfers right now uh, And Tiger Woods. He is over on 16. We will keep you updated on his round as he finishes out the first round of the 86th masters at augusta national you're listening to espn radio on the espn app SiriusXM xm channel 80 and streaming live over on espn plus i'm courtney cronin he's harry douglas and we are presented by progressive insurance tuning or turning gears now over to the nfl steve wilkes the former arizona cardinals coach from the 2018 season and longtime nfl assistant ray horton joined Brian Flores' lawsuit against the NFL, alleging racism in hiring practices. This is a lawsuit, Harry, that Flores filed at the end of January after being fired by the Miami Dolphins earlier this year and then going through the hiring process, excuse me, the interview process for several NFL jobs, including one with the New York Giants, which uh, sparked things for Flores in which he alleged that there were a lot of sham practices in the hiring process. And and he is currently with the Pittsburgh Steelers in a senior defensive assistant role uh, under Mike Tomlin. But this lawsuit continues on and it is now carrying, um, or it's gaining legs rather because of the two, NFL coaches who have attached their names to it. Lawyers say that Steve Wilkes was discriminated against as a, quote, bridge coach who was, quote, not given any meaningful chance to succeed. Wilkes was 3-13 in one season with the Cardinals before he was fired, then replaced by Cliff Kingsbury. Horton, who was a longtime NFL assistant since 1994, interviewed for the Tennessee Titans job in 2016, did not get it. But the key cog in all of this, and the part that might be the most explosive, is that former Titans coach Mike Malarkey, who did get the job over Ray Horton in 2016, let ESPN know during this process about a podcast he was on. It's called the Steelers Realm Podcast, in which he talked about this, the Tennessee Titans hiring practices. This came back during the 2000, at some point during 2020. It's pretty damning stuff. I'm going to read you a quote from Mike Malarkey on that podcast. Quote, I allowed myself at one point when I was in Tennessee to get caught up in something I regret, and I still regret it. But the ownership there, Amy Adams Strunk and her family came in and told me I was going to be the head coach in 2016 before they went through the Rooney rule. And so I sat there knowing I was the head coach in 2016 as they went through this fake hiring process, knowing a lot of the coaches they were interviewing, knowing how much they prepared to go through those interviews, knowing that everything they could do and they had no chance of getting that job. Actually, the GM, John Robinson, he was in on the interview with me. He had no idea why he was interviewing me, that I had the job already. I regret. I'm sorry I did that. It was not the way to go about it, end quote. That was Mike Malarkey, former Titans head coach, who was hired over uh, Ray Horton in 2016. So there's a lot to unpack here. And the fact is, this lawsuit is gaining legs, and the NFL is going to have to come out and address this at some point. But when, when you hear those comments from Mike Malarkey, and you played in Tennessee, how does that strike you?
1: Well, I'll say this, Mike Malarkey, excuse me, he drafted me to Atlanta uh, back in 2008. He was the offensive coordinator there, and then when I left Atlanta, I went to Tennessee, actually because Mike Malarkey was there. Now, we played under, I I was under Ken Wisenhunt, he was the head coach. Ken Wisenhunt lost his job during that 2015 season, and Mike Malarkey was named the interim coach in 2016 and 17, the following two years, he was the head coach there, and Coach Malarkey has always been a guy, um, like Spike Lee said, that, that tries to do the right thing, mm-hmm. right? And he was in a situation like that he said he was not proud of because he sat there and let something occur. Uh, allegedly, I don't want to say anything happened, I just want to say allegedly first, uh, that he alleged transpired when it came to the, the coaching search. And I'm still very close with a lot of people in the Tennessee Titans organization, um, I'm really close with head coach, uh, former head coach Mike Malarkey. So this is crazy. I know Ray Horton very, very well. He mm-hmm. was the defensive coordinator uh, my first year when I was there in Tennessee as well. Uh, he he went on to be the defensive coordinator for Hugh Jackson uh, in Cleveland when Hugh, J- Hugh Jackson was there in Cleveland as well. Uh, so it's just this, this just is a big old mess, right? Uh, something I don't think is going to go away go away anytime soon. I do believe. The NFL, they're going to have to start acting on a lot of stuff now because, like you just said, Courtney, this stuff is – this case is, is, is getting more legs, right? And, and the more uh, you have people coming out and then you have the evidence of Mike Millarkey on a podcast saying it. Now I want to go to Steve Wilkes re- really quick. Steve Wilkes, I'll be honest to tell you, he didn't get a fair shot. And I did believe he was being the bridge coach and the, uh, being the bridge for a lot of things that Arizona wanted to do. How many people do you know that that is not uh, that does not look like Steve Wilkes is going to get one year and then the next year they're going to be fired, right? It doesn't happen often like that. And the following year you hire a guy in Cliff Kingsbury who wasn't even qualified, honestly, for the job. So you know there was a lot of riffraff going uh, going there. But it's a lot of stuff going on in the National Football League, period, I think, ab- above uh, a lot of rankings that the NFL and Roger Goodell, they're going to have to try to iron out. Mm-hmm.
0: And this, was, this was brought up at owners' meetings last week about Brian Flores' lawsuit, and you'd like to think that the NFL might have had some idea that something like this was yeah. probably coming. This just didn't come out of thin air this week, that two new names were going to be added to this lawsuit to give it more legitimacy and, and potentially – help this thing along because really what the objective here is i I know that we look at this and say okay there are uh, there's several coaches here and there's you know many who are not going to be part of this lawsuit but ones who are willing to attach their name to it along with brian flores who are alleging that there are there's you know Embedded racism within the hiring practices throughout the NFL. So, what is the objective? What do people want out of this that are part of this lawsuit? The lawsuit is asking for increased transparency in NFL hiring, incentives for hiring black coaches, and increased visibility for black assistant coaches. Now, whether we like what the end game is here, I think it's probably still too early to tell because people yeah. like Brian Flores, Ray Horton, and Steve Wilkes are they seeking. Are, you know, Brian Flores is the only one of these two and uh, one of these three men that are coaching currently in the NFL. What do the other two want? Is there any sort of like you know loss of wages, punitive damages, things that you know they can potentially recoup salary funds like that, or just more opportunity? You know, you cross you, you cross a fine line there in figuring out what can actually be done here and the practices that can be implemented into the NFL hiring process to make this more fair because I think there are a lot of people who are skeptical that say, yeah, of course, like this stuff has been happening. These people are brave enough to attach their name to these lawsuits and knowing that they may never get a shot again because, you know, like Brian Flores said, and and that's the thing, like Brian Flores, His lawyers amended a part of the lawsuit that also includes the Houston Texans in this complaint, saying they, quote, retaliated against Flores by removing him from consideration for their head coaching vacancy uh, because of his decision to file this lawsuit. They ended up hiring an African-American head coach in Lovey Smith. But at the time that this whole thing was coming out— they were still very much in the process, um, you know, in in sorting this whole thing out. So I think, you know, that's that's a new development too for Brian, Brian Flores. It's not just the two other coaches that we mentioned that are part of this lawsuit. Um, there is so much here, though, that we need to get into, and we will throughout uh, the remainder of the next few hours here on ESPN Radio. This lawsuit's not going away, and it shouldn't oh, no. go away. And I nope. wonder now that there are these. two, Extra names and Ray Horton and Steve Wilkes and their cases uh, are separate, you know, but part of this lawsuit collectively. What that's going to yield, you know, might this might be the catalyst for even more coaches to try to put their name in and explain their experiences and potentially give this thing even more legs and you know force the NFL's hand here to do something, uh, which which certainly would be a good thing uh, to see this actually create some change and and have you know more than just a case that gets settled uh with with financial resources or or what have you but we're going to talk about this certainly uh over the next few hours but straight ahead bouncing into the nba can the nets still put it together and win the east we discuss next here on espn radio and the espn app
1: espn radio
0: Courtney and Harry Douglas here with you on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. The 86 Masters teeing off on Thursday at Augusta National in Georgia it brings up the question what are the most iconic sports venues that we think of and I know that Harry when I think of golf I think of Augusta National so it's a perfect time to talk about this and of course it's opening day in baseball so if I wasn't hosting this radio show right now I'd be playing hooky like everyone else I know and I'd be down at Wrigley Field watching the Cubs so when you think about iconic sports venues and like we have two and I mean you talked about Fenway Park to to me off air earlier like when we think about baseball when about golf. Like, what comes to mind for you is some of the most iconic sports venues.
1: So I'm gonna start right there with Fenway Park because I have been to an opening day game uh, up in Boston and it was amazing, Courtney. I, I don't, I don't even remember how much I was drinking after that game, but <laughs> it, it, it was some of everything. Everything people was putting in front of me. Every bar was packed afterwards, and of course, the Red Sox had one as well. Another one I'll say Lambo. Being able to play at Lambo. Uh, in December when the, when the, when the temperatures and the negative degrees and, you know, the snow's coming down. Just iconic because you think of the history there uh, in, in Green Bay, Wisconsin, at Lambeau Field, Madison Square Garden. I had a chance to go to a lot of games there. My brother played there for three years, and I just recently went there about two weeks ago when they beat the Bulls. And the Knicks right now aren't a good team. The place was still packed out. Literally packed out, and the fans were loud and rooting for their team. And I actually sent a tweet about it. Um, You talked about the Masters. Wrigley, I haven't had a chance to get to Wrigley. I have to go. So now, Courtney, you have to make sure at some point I get my tail to Wrigley.
0: It's, in my opinion – the best place to go for opening day because everyone is there and they are freezing their tails off. Like, it is not a nice day here in the <laughs> Chicagoland area. I know you're down in Georgia and it was raining at the Masters at Augusta National this morning and now it's beautiful and sunny it is the opposite of that up here but people still flock in droves to opening day and they freeze and they drink a lot of old style and they have a great time doing it and it is one of the most iconic scenes in sports period and I always just love being able to be part of that um opening day has that extra mystique though that makes it that much more special to be part of
1: another one on my bucket list Daytona Five Hundred. That's been on my bucket list for a very, very long time. Yeah. At some point, i got to get down there and watch me a race.
0: Yeah, and over in Speedway, Indiana, where the, Indiana, Indiana, the Indy 500 is, over in Indiana, another great race venue. There's so many that we could add to this list, uh, but a couple that are taking the spotlight here on opening day and the start of the Masters. Straight ahead, there could be as many as nine wideouts taken in the NFL. Since Harry's here, we'll break it down next.
1: ESPN radio don't
0: count Kevin Durant out just don't do it because you're gonna look foolish like I did in the second quarter of the Brooklyn Nets uh 21 point comeback against the New York Knicks last night when I'm thinking man what is going on with this Nets team Harry uh it's Kyrie Irving it's Kevin Durant and it didn't feel like it was anyone else well I said it right there. They had a 21-point 20 point comeback. They now control their fate for the number 7 seed in the East. They've now won seven straight games over the New York Knicks in the process. This is ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, and streaming live on ESPN+. All right, so can the Nets still put this whole thing together, and can they win the East I look, at the, I look at where they're at right now in controlling their fate and potentially flipping the way that that play-in tournament looks like where they would be the 7th seed with a win over Cleveland on Friday and playing Cleveland in the play-in tournament on April 12th, and they'd get to do it at home. Feels like right now the momentum that they've gained after a couple really tough losses last week, they might actually be in the driver's seat for once.
1: Well, I'll say this. Looking at that game last night, the first half was a disaster to me. They entirely gave up too many three-pointers to the New York Knicks. And shout-out to Alec Burks. He was actually hitting his shots. I love uh, what I'm seeing from R.J. Baird and his growth. But on the net side of things, the first half was terrible. The body language wasn't there. The energy was not there as well. Kevin Durant only had seven shots in the first half. I was laughing about it at halftime. I was like, it's no inhale. Kevin Durant, the greatest score that we've ever seen. Should have seven attempts in the first half. At minimum, he should have 15 or 16. Uh, more than half, uh, uh, another half more than what he had. But we actually did see uh, that team never waver, right? They came out, they never, they never panicked. Uh, Steve Kerr never panicked. I mean, excuse me, not Steve Kerr, Steve Nash. And I will tell you this, I, I have not liked the job I've, I've seen from Steve Nash uh, this year as a coach, but that's a conversation for another day. But when you have a guy like KD, Kevin Durant on your basketball team, and Kyrie Irving, who can give you 40, 50 any given night, and you see Kevin Durant had a triple-double last night, I want to talk about his assists and how he's being able able to facilitate because a lot of double teams are being thrown at him. But he's making the right basketball play and getting the basketball into the right people's hands. The two people I thought stepped up last night was Patty Mills and Seth Curry. This is going to be the thing. Can Patty Mills and Seth Curry hit their open jump shots? Because they're going to get them. Because Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, whoever has the ball coming down the court, both of those guys, whoever has it at the top, they're getting trapped. So they're making the correct play. Now the supporting cast has to do their part. And last night they actually went eight for 14 between Patty Mills and Seth Curry, hitting three, so they did their part. But you just can't have those lapses. You can't go down 21 to a team like the New York Knicks. Because i tell you this, you go down 21 points against the Milwaukee Bucks, you're not going to come back and win that game. Because they are so strong and they have a three-headed monster. You do it against the Boston Celtics, I don't believe you're going to come back from that one. You do it against the Miami Heat, they're so good defensively, it's going to be hard for you to come back. Even though they have great offense and great offense beats great defense, a lot of the times, I still believe that they can't fall behind uh, and have big deficits against these powerhouse i say the top four teams in the east because it 's going to be tough. they have to get better defensively that first half defensively was horrible as well, yeah. but if they can if they can lock in and play defense, not even great but decent, they have an opportunity because they have those two uh lethal guns in the holster.
0: Brooklyn forty-two and thirty-eight right now. They are the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference playoff bracket. They are currently slated to face Cleveland in the play-in tournament. Cleveland is the seventh seed, but these two teams play tomorrow night. And Brooklyn at the moment controls its fate in order to get the seventh seed. Why is that significant? That's a home game at the play in the play-in tournament. Why is that also significant? Kyrie Irving can play in Brooklyn in that tournament, in the play-in tournament, which, you know, is something three, four weeks ago he wouldn't have been able to do. But since the vaccine mandate in New York City has been reversed, that now gives the Brooklyn Nets a huge advantage in being able to have Not only Kevin Durant, but a supporting cast that is also bolstered by Kyrie Irving, which as we saw last night, those two need each other badly, but they also need their other players that other players to support them as well. You mentioned Seth Curry, uh, Patty Mills as well, Nick Claxton and Kessler Edwards off the bench, 14 and 13. Combine that's not bad. Like they need to be able to have a couple more insulary pieces to help Kevin Durant when he's on a tear and drop 63 points in 42 minutes, and help Kyrie Irving in that same sense. So they're not, you know, this a 110 1, 98 final. And yeah, Irving and and Kevin Durant did most of the work last night, 63 and 46 apiece. But um, you know, I I I just think that you look at this whole situation here with the Brooklyn Nets and think, okay. Maybe they are contenders for the East. Who knows? Straight ahead, getting into some wide receiver talk because Harry's on the show. That's next, ESPN Radio and the ESPN app.